Welcome back into Nurturing Financial Freedom. I am John Jagay, joined again by Alex Cabot and Ed Lambert of Birch Fund Financial. Gentlemen, always good to be with you. Good to be here, Jag. Always great to talk to you, Jag. And hey, the spring is almost here. We're a few days away from the start of it. COVID is ebbing. Things are returning more and more to normal. We're starting to feel a little better. But there's other headlines that have been causing some concern lately. And that's going to be a little topic we're going to talk about today. Absolutely. You nailed it. You know, since our last recording a month ago, here we are now on March 16th as we record today, you know, Russia has invaded Ukraine. And while we don't want to uh, gloss over the terrible humanitarian tragedy that's happening over there, this is a financial podcast. So we're going to talk about that aspect of it today. Energy prices have gone up. Markets have been volatile. So we're talking today about having adequate liquid reserves and some examples of what you would or wouldn't consider appropriate. Really kind of, you know, forgive the pun here, but a war chest. So we'll go to you first, Ed. What is a war chest and why is having one so important? So first, Jag, let's define what we mean by a war chest. You know, Mm -hmm. essentially, this is a bucket of money that's accessible and doesn't fluctuate much in value. It's also been commonly referred to as a rainy day fund over the years, right? Yeah. And the point of this so-called war chest is to provide a relatively stable kind of bucket to help cover unforeseen expenses or to help ride out a volatile period in the financial markets. And the reality is that things happen in the world. You know, just last month, you know, our topic was the reasons for Americans to be optimistic about the long-term future, right? Yeah. And nothing's changed in that regard, but we will hit bumps in the road as we've learned. Um, And as we saw with the February 24th invasion uh, from Russia of Ukraine, you know, sometimes those bumps aren't caused by geopolitical events. Sometimes those bumps are just simply cyclical. You know, recessions happen and workers are displaced. People need to always prepare for that possibility. You know, we've had a lot of clients lose their jobs over the past 20 years for reasons outside of their control. Yeah. And the job market is certainly quite brisk right now. One of the best ones of of our careers, for sure. Americans generally have confidence that they can replace their income if necessary. It isn't always that way. You know, ask anyone who lost their job in 2008 about that. You know, at one point, the job market was so bad that unemployment benefits were extended in most states up to 100 weeks. That's two years of unemployment benefits. I remember that, yeah. It varies by state, but unemployment benefits in Pennsylvania are 50% of income up to a max of, I think if you have kids, like $580 a week. Mm -hmm. So they only cover a portion of lost income. You know, relying on unemployment to bridge a gap, it doesn't do anybody a whole lot of good. It helps, but it's certainly not the whole solution. And sometimes people have breaks in working income. It has nothing to do with the economy, nothing to do with their job, and more to do with their individual situation. You know, sometimes people become disabled either temporarily or permanently, and and they may not be able to work and replace their income. And like unemployment insurance, disability coverage is designed to only cover a portion of lost wages. Right. And these are both by design, Jag, so that there is no disincentive to go back to work. Right. And that's why if you go out and you buy a disability policy, that policy is not going to cover 100% percent of lost wages in almost all situations. 
And in addition to breaks in terms of income, sometimes expenses arise. You know, Alex and I work with a few hundred clients, and we see all sorts of situations come up on a weekly basis. You know, you may have damaged your house that isn't fully covered by homeowners insurance. Your roof may leak and need to be replaced. Your furnace dies. You have a car accident, need to replace your vehicle. You could have a big dental bill. You know, a family member may need help. I mean, the, the list of possibilities goes on and on. But everybody should assume that at some point in their life, there are going to be a large expenses that come up that they're not planning for, let's say, right? And I don't have the statistic in front of me, but I remember we've talked about it in a previous episode. It's something like roughly half of Americans would be in real financial trouble if they had a major car repair come out of the blue. So you're spot on here. Yep, absolutely. And Alex will be talking a little bit more later about what we actually mean by an adequate reserve, which is you know different for different people in different situations. But also, you know, when putting the notes together for this podcast, we thought about, you know, part of a reasonable war chest should probably include life insurance if you're working and you're relatively young. You know, sometimes people die in their prime earning years, and we think that should be included in this discussion, at least for a minute. And, you know, what's adequate in terms of life insurance depends on each person's situation. And, you know, it's something that planners like us help clients determine. Should they have life insurance? If so, how much and, and what type? And to give you an idea how that may vary, you know, let's take Alex and me, for example. We both have young families. We're the sole wage earners for our households. Because of this, we need to have a fair amount of life insurance. But let's say we were only a year away from retirement and we had grown children. That need would be much less. And like I said, it varies greatly. And it's important that people talk to somebody who's educated to figure out whether they should have life insurance and if so, how much. But, you know, we think it's worthwhile to include that in this discussion as part of a war chest. So let's move on to when you're retired, right? Some people think, well, if you're retired, you know, do you really still need that reserve then? And the answer is absolutely yes. You need to have that, in most cases, as a portion of your investment and asset allocation strategy. And this is something we talk with clients about on, on pretty much a daily basis, Jag. Yeah. People who are retired should have a percentage of their portfolio that's held outside of volatile assets to, one, help limit fluctuation which has certainly helped our clients through the first quarter of this year as the stock market has been pretty volatile, but also to provide a somewhat stable bucket from which to draw during stock market downturns so that they can ride out and allow their shares to recover in price, which we believe will happen eventually. And what's happening in the world right now with the market volatility, with the inflation uncertainty, with the horrible situation in Europe, it's certainly a reminder why it's so important to have adequate reserves. Like I said earlier, the job market's strong right now, but that won't always be the case. And younger workers who have never experienced you know, difficulty finding a job, they should prepare for that eventuality because if you have a 40-year career, you're likely going to see some periods where it's, it's kind of tough to find work, right? And, you know, that's why it's so important at all times that people have, you know, adequate liquidity and access to money that can be used. I like the way you laid that out, Ed, because you're talking about all different age groups. And I know Alex is going to get some specific examples here in a minute. But the younger folks, maybe who are just into the workforce, really, we've talked about this before, 
the last downturn we had economically was 08, 09. That's almost 15 years ago. Yep. So if you're in your 20s or early 30s, maybe you weren't working then. Maybe you didn't experience that and you need to know what to do to protect yourself. And then on the flip side, if you're a retiree and you're no longer earning money through a job, yep. you want to have, like you said, those vehicles to be able to draw from when the market is down that you're not going to hurt your overall financial future down the road. Yep, that's exactly right. You know, everybody needs to, you know, kind of put together a plan and say, if there were an emergency and I would either have a break in income, a temporary reduction in income, or have a large expense arise, where am I going to get that money from? And it's important to get that money set aside and make sure it's, it's always accessible. You just nailed it, Ed. Where am I going to get the money from? You want to answer that question before, not after. That's exactly right. All right, let's turn over to you now, Alex. We kind of hinted at this a little bit, but you have some specific examples of situations that you guys have seen and what you would or wouldn't consider an adequate cash reserve or war chest, right? Yeah, so, so I'll give you a couple, three examples of, of what we see on a regular basis and how this topic applies to those particular circumstances. Um, the first represents a relatively typical, if not slightly above average asset level client. Uh, retired couple, $3 million in assets, uh, liquid uh, net worth. They're drawing about 4% a year from the portfolio, and the portfolio is balanced with about 60% equity or stocks, and then the remainder is uh, bonds, fixed income, uh, cash, and some precious metals and a few other assets that fluctuate a bit differently than stocks. So again, this is a very typical client for our team. Uh, in this context, the war chest could actually be one of two things. It could be a few months of expenses just parked in a bank savings account or a money market account mm -hmm. on the outside, or it could be the 40% or so of the asset allocation that's not invested in stocks. You think about it this way. If you're drawing 4% of your total portfolio each year with 40% of the money in bonds, gold, and cash you'd have roughly 10 years of payouts available without ever having to sell a stock during a market downturn. Mm -hmm. Now, downturns of 10 years or more are extremely rare, but they do happen. Uh, if we look from uh, the start of the tech bubble bursting in early 2000 to the uh, finally the recovery from the financial crisis when we reached our new highs in 2013, that was a fairly long period of time, but it wasn't unilaterally down and then unilaterally up. It went down a lot, then it rebounded, then it dropped again, and then it rebounded. There are opportunities to rebalance and trim profits off of stocks when they have done well, so you're not necessarily riding it the entire time. But that 40% that you have in assets that aren't really fluctuating like stocks is a very nice cushion to have both for your regular payouts as well as for emergencies that come up. But expanding on that a little bit, if you do have money that's parked in a savings account as a fairly affluent retired couple, that could be useful for one of those unexpected things that Ed mentioned earlier, like the roof needing to be replaced or your yeah. furnace dies and it mm -hmm. costs $10,000 to fix it. Uh, if you have that cushion set aside, you don't even have to think about paying for the expense. You just pop it right out of the savings account and it's, it's already covered. One thing we normally do when we run plans for clients, we, we will often ignore cash that they have on hand outside of, of investment assets and things that we manage here. We often ignore it just for the simple reason that if you do need to dip into it, 
to cover a big expense. It's not going to impact the financial plan because we've never really accounted for it in the first place. It's sort of, it's money that's just set aside. We have no visibility about it. We don't necessarily want to use it for regular expenses, but it's there for emergencies. So if they do come up, it doesn't move the needle on the plan one inch. And that, that's very helpful. Gotcha. So that's sort of a typical client scenario for us. And, and that's how we would work through that. The other example is, is a younger client. Uh, in this case, specifically a young couple. In this scenario, a young couple needs to start building this buffer, this war chest, very early on in their life together. And this is true for younger individuals as well. This doesn't have to be couples. But younger investors are subject to very different unexpected events than, than retirees are. You, obviously, if you're retired, you can't lose your job and disrupt your income that way. But there are some expenses and, and unexpected surprises that could be similar, but they're, they're often quite different. And furthermore, a young couple with two incomes will look very different from a couple with one income. So here's our rule of thumb. A rule of thumb for how much to have set aside is anywhere between three months and 12 months of ordinary living expenses. That's quite a range. I know. And if you, so that means if you spend 5000 a month on average, the reserve should be anywhere between 15000 and $60,000. And yes, that is a big range. I'll get to that. Couple of other guidelines. If you are under 59 and a half years old, nothing in your company retirement plan, like a 401k or 403b, nothing in those accounts counts towards this war chest, this reserve fund. Because you can't touch it. Right. The taxes, the penalties, the missed opportunity cost, it's just too high to consider that money viable for emergencies. Now that said, emergencies, real emergencies do happen. And sometimes there's nothing we can do about that. You can access money in these accounts, but it is expensive to do so because you are penalized for taking distributions too early. If that does occur and you do need to dip into an account like that, it's okay. It happens. Life happens. We try to pivot as best we can. But if that does happen, if you do need to make a big change within a retirement account because you know, of a big medical bill or something that needs to happen. Make sure that once it's done, you update your financial plan with the new information to see what the impact is. It will probably change the trajectory of a plan. If you're taking distributions from your retirement account when you're 40 years old, that has a big impact years down the road. Sometimes we can't avoid it, but we have to understand what the impact is and how to address it in the future. What's past is past. We can't change that, but we can make sure that we're planning for the next 5, 10, 20, 30 plus years. Sure. Another thing that doesn't count toward this buffer, stocks that you own in an after-tax account. If you're a younger investor and you've been putting some money away outside of a company plan in just a regular brokerage account and you've been buying securities and stocks with it, those should be considered sacrosanct as a retirement goal for, as part of that account. You've invested in equities in an after-tax account for long-term growth. Just because there is no penalty to withdraw money from that account does not mean that there is no cost to withdraw money from that account. That's important. You could be subject to capital gains tax. You could be forced to sell at a loss during a period of volatility. Uh, and also the opportunity cost of taking money out of the market. You're missing out on all the growth that that's going to get over the next decade, two decades, et cetera. So now, 
Back to the big question, that range of three to 12 months. So the $5,000 a month budget couple, uh, that range anywhere between 15 and 60,000. Again, big range, I know. And yeah. there's a way to kind of winnow that down a little bit. So consider this example. Married couple, both working as tenured teachers in a public school district. Job security, very high. Income stability, very high. Barring something extremely unusual, it would be improbable that one or both spouses would lose their job or experience a significant disruption in income. Right. In this case, that war chest, that reserve fund, three months is likely adequate for a cushion, mainly to cover big expenses that crop up from time to time. Now you consider a couple who both work in technology sales. Both of them earn a significant income, but the pay is largely commission-based. Some months, the paycheck is massive. Others, not so much. Right. The volatility of income, combined with the potential instability of the job, would suggest that a larger reserve fund or war chest is a prudent idea. In that case, I'd say in at least six months, probably closer to 12, especially if you're spending the majority of what you're bringing home and uh, making discretionary purchases. But that is a very wide range. And as with everything we discuss on this podcast, rules of thumb are just that. They're rules of thumb. They're not meant to be taken as gospel. Every client, every individual is unique. Every financial plan is unique. To determine exactly how much you should have as a cushion, or at least narrow the range down a little bit more, you have to look not just at the data points we've looked at today, but the big picture of the financial plan, where the cash flow is coming from, what is the time frame for when you're going to need a big chunk of the money that you have, uh, and, and a number of other variables as well. And by looking at all of that in concert, you can get a much better idea of what's reasonable and necessary. You know, two married public school teachers who are tenured, who have great job stability, they probably don't need 12 months of expenses set aside, and they're missing a lot of opportunity costs by not investing that. But a couple who has a variable income or only one income earner in the family in a volatile industry, they'd be pretty well served to have that big cushion, even though there's still an opportunity cost missed because you're, you're not investing, but you could potentially save yourself a great deal of hassle if, heaven forbid, something were to happen that necessitated it. Alex, I kind of love those two examples that you picked because we have a family member who is a school teacher and we have a family member who works in commercial real estate. And the per obviously the income is consistent for the teacher, but the person working in commercial real estate, that has been wildly swinging. He'll have months where he brings in a ton of money. He'll have months where he brings in next to nothing. And having that cushion and spreading that wealth out is so important. One follow-up question for you. I got to imagine that in addition to all these external factors, the internal psychology has got to play a little bit into it too. You can guide a client for what the number is for their individual situation, say for what they should be saving and how much they should have in that war chest. But I've got to imagine the missing piece would also be their comfort level and how much they feel they need to be comfortable uh, in case of emergency too, right? Yeah, that, that's actually a very good point. And one thing that we talk with clients about a lot is that financial plans can be dialed in very precisely from an empirical standpoint. We can look at, at the timeframes and the, objectively speaking, the risk tolerance that the plan can absorb. And we can be very, very accurate with what these projections will send out. Now, obviously, they're just projections, so they're not perfect. 
mm-hmm. but the plan can be very precise in what it's trying to do. Sometimes the financial plan will say, okay, you need $40,000 of cushion. And that's just not enough for someone to be able to, to be comfortable living their life. They say, well, I, I, know, you know, I know you say I need 40, but I really feel better if I have 100 sitting in the bank just knowing it's there. There's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely, unequivocally nothing wrong with being a little bit cautious under one condition. As long as you factor that psychological trait into the financial plan, as long as you build in that excess reserve as a non-invested kind of out of reach component of the plan, and the plan still functions and still meets its objectives, then what's the harm? If having a little bit of extra cash keeps someone on the path of their plan, then that's totally worth it. These are conversations that evolve with clients over time because everybody changes from time to time. And we actually have noticed that their risk tolerance will be inversely proportional to how volatile the market is. If the market is very, very quiet and just going up, like we saw in 2017 was one of the quietest years we have on record, Mm -hmm. people's perception of their own risk tolerance increased. They felt like they could be more aggressive. And then you fast forward to right in the middle of the COVID crash in early 2020, the same people were now all of a sudden ultra conservative in their minds. That happens. So yeah. as, as long as you can find a range that works and, and be somewhere in that functional range, it may not be the absolute optimal place, but if it helps you to maintain your diversification, maintain your plan on track, 100% worth it. Got it. Really good stuff, as always, depends on your individual situation, the internal, the external factors. Really important uh, to have that emergency savings, rainy day fund, war chest, whatever you want to call it. Alex, Ed, if somebody wants to come talk to you guys at Bertrand about any of this stuff or anything related to their financial futures, what are the best ways to find you? You can always find information about us on our website, birchrunfinancial.com. You can send an email to our general box, which is info, I-N-F-O, at birchrunfinancial.com, or do it the old-fashioned way and just give our office a call, 484-395-2190. We're always happy to have a conversation. And as always, we'll have that information in our show notes from this episode. Good stuff today. As always, Alex and Ed, we'll talk again soon. Yep. Thank you, Jag. Thanks, Jag. Always a pleasure. Any opinions are those of Ed Lambert and Alex Cabot, not necessarily those of RJFS or Raymond James. The information contained in this report does not purport to be a complete description of the securities, markets, or developments referred to in this material. There is no assurance any of the trends mentioned will continue or forecasts will occur. The information has been obtained from sources considered to be reliable, but Raymond James does not guarantee that the foregoing material is accurate or complete. Any information is not a complete summary or statement of all available data necessary for making an investment decision and does not constitute a recommendation. The examples throughout this material are for illustrative purposes only. Raymond James does not provide tax or legal services. Please discuss these matters with the appropriate professional. Diversification and asset allocation do not ensure a profit or protect against a loss. Keep in mind that not all asset classes mentioned are suitable for all clients. Rebalancing a non-retirement account could be a taxable event that may increase your tax liability. Past performance is not indicative of future returns. Securities offered through Raymond James Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA SIPC. Investment advisory services offered through Raymond James Financial Services Advisors, Inc. Bertrand Financial is not a registered broker-dealer and is independent of Raymond James Financial Services. Bertrand Financial is located at 595 East Sweetsford Road, Suite 360, Wayne, Pennsylvania, 19087, and can be reached at 484-395-2190.